Hello, everybody. Welcome to All Points in Between podcast, a show about the highs and the pitfalls of travelling. My name's Martin Fletcher. I'm joined today by a very talented travel writer and general person about the world who is probably the more qualified person on today's episode and is also one of my oldest friends, so couldn't really say no to me to be on the show. It's Riderfield. Yeah, hey, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks, Martin, for having me on. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say all of those, those uh, nice compliments, but yeah, happy to be here. Well, certainly more well travelled than I am, and I think also more experienced at doing podcasts. I think you mentioned to me that you've been doing, you've you've done them before in the past, have you? Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. These kind of um, like Zoom events and and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, no, you're right. I have. Uh, yeah, I think it was like there's a couple that they were pre-recorded, um, and then they, you know, they added my stuff to their podcast. But yeah, uh, this is my first time doing doing something like this, like a live uh, live interview. Yeah, it is my first time doing something like this, so we're just going to have to see how we go with it. A little bit. The idea of this show is that it's going to be a bit of talk about travel and somewhat adjacent topics to that. I live in a motorhome. I've been living here for about three years or so and traveling around. So in that time, I have traveled down to Albania and Greece and this winter, I have been driving down to Morocco and travelled down the west coast of Africa to Dakar and currently back up in Marrakesh, where I'm just parked up for a few days. And one of the things that I want to talk about in this show is just some of the challenges that come with travelling around and things to look out for. And I did have bit of an experience a few weeks ago while I was crossing over a border which I thought since I got built out of a rather large amount of money I thought I might as well get a bit of a story out of it and a bit of an episode and so I'm going to be talking about that today and um, Roy is going to be joining in with me so Roy have you have you got a lot of experience with scams and with getting caught out what's what's the largest amount of money that you've ever ended up losing um yeah I'd, i don't know i'd said i know of a lot of scams like yeah i've traveled like you know all over asia south america central america uh africa um and yeah like there's the ones you read about in the guidebooks there's the ones that uh, you know people tell you about, like ah, if you're going down that way, careful of that. There's the ones you see with your own eyes. Um, I think, in many ways, I've been, I've been very lucky um, because I'm a complete cheapskate in everything I do, which kind of protects me a lot. Like if someone's even, even something official, uh, you know, if someone's trying to get any money out of me at all like the the instinct kicks in and i'll like you know fight like uh fight with tooth and nail <laughs> um but yeah there there is one um 
there is one that I remember that completely like got me because I didn't even realize didn't even realize till afterwards you know the signals were there but um I guess I guess it's something you experienced as well something you you know very well as well like what always comes with these things is the there's always a sense of of haste and hurry you know and that's how they get you it's like um you know if you don't do this now uh you won't be able to do it like i don't know you're crossing a border and it's like no 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 come on your bus is about to go you gotta you got hmm. and that's that's i think how most people get get caught and yes yeah, so, so yeah this one uh this one example was on i think it was peru ecuador um peru ecuador border and yeah i my coach stopped uh we all went into like this little like kind of dug out little office thing to get our our passport stamps and somebody with a lanyard you know just as official looking uniform as anyone <clears throat> as anyone official there um said to me like oh do you have this piece of paper and i was like no so they uh they were like oh you have to go to the other office uh, and i was like my coach is about to leave i don't have time they were like okay uh don't worry we'll jump in this uh tuk tuk or motorbike taxi or whatever so we rushed like across town and you know the I'm already thinking, yeah, hold on a second. What's going on here? But we get, but it's also hurried, you know, and I only have like, I only have 10 minutes probably before that coach is about to go. So we get there. I pay my five, uh, five or $10, I think for this stamped piece of paper. They look at my passport, whatever they give it all back. We rush back. Um, I go into the official office, hand in this, my passport with this, this stamped piece of paper and the guy just like looks at it like <laughs> kind of shakes his head takes it and gives me back my passport we get on the coach i go across and i think i just repressed the whole thing like okay i guess that was normal uh until i i think i read about it uh or spoke to someone else about it like once i was safely in ecuador and they were like oh yeah have you heard about that scam i was like damn it they got me <laughs> Yes, yeah, step into my totally legitimate tuk-tuk and come with yeah. come with me. Yeah, um, no, I should have should have known better, but I suppose five ten dollars. It's well, somewhat the cost of traveling around some of those places that every now and again you're going to get stung. When I was driving down the coast of Morocco, I parked upon this headland where there were some blokes with camels and. They said to me, oh, come and look at the camels, come and look at the camels. So I did, and then they said, oh, jump on the camel. It's okay, it's all free. And I thought, it's obviously not, but I also do kind of want a cool picture of me sat on a camel next to my van and had the photo taken and then was charged more money than I'm proud of. But it is quite an interesting picture, so eh, it's okay. But yes, the... He... Like that's where my my instinct would have kicked in, and I would have just like flat out refused, or been like, you know what, I'll give this is the amount of money that I'm uh, prepared to give you for a photo of me on a camel. Uh, and yeah, they would have been swearing, and I would have been told to fuck, go fuck myself, or don't know. Can I say that on a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Why not? I I haven't defined rules yet, so I'm sure we're fine. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, like that's kind of how they get you right they they know that people are going to be polite and are not going to 
not going to want like conflict there in the streets. Yeah, I think that is very much the difference between you and me. Is I I am quite a thin-skinned person, and usually I would commando crawl over broken glass before I started trying to provoke conflicts with people, and so it just feels like the most weird and unnatural thing in the world for me to tell somebody to fuck off. After after the story that I'm going to be talking about today, I have got somewhat better at it, I must say, so maybe it was a learning experience, very, very expensive learning experience, but I'll just start by just giving a little bit of background on the situation. So when people are travelling on the route down Africa, what they will often do is head on the route down the west coast. This is the route that I took, and it involves travelling through Morocco, heading into Western Sahara, which is de facto Morocco, but is sort of its own thing, which we might do an episode on at some point in the future, because I know, Roy, you're pretty keen on doing a bit more travel in that bit of the world, aren't you? Yeah, I would I would definitely like to go back, do like uh maybe the Algeria route. It would be pretty interesting to see a bit of that part of the country that is yeah, well, less Morocco than Morocco is. But as you carry on down the coast, you then enter Mauritania. Roy actually came with me for this part of the trip. We travelled from Agadir in Morocco down to Nouakchott in Mauritania and that did involve crossing a border there and when people are crossing borders in this bit of the world what I've found and what I've read about quite a lot is that there will often be people who are border crossing guides who say that they will help you with bureaucracy and the paperwork and personally I found that situation fairly helpful when we were crossing over into Mauritania just because I didn't know the language it's an unfamiliar location there's somebody who just knows what buildings you need to go to I don't know how you found that right whether that was something where your instinct started to kick in but you kind of overrode it because I I was into it I, I don't know what you thought about that yeah, I think I think the difference is uh, it's very different if you've got a vehicle, um, because you know as a foot passenger, um, you know you've you've got all day. All you really have to do is get the get the couple of passport stamps, and so you can kind of ask around or just wait, watch another traveler do it, and follow them. <clears throat> but when there's a vehicle, it's like you need to go in to this to get the insurance, to get that, to get documents that you don't even know that you might need. You don't know, obviously, down there it's it's not very clear what's official and what's not. Um, if there is even a distinction, it made. I mean, what did uh, <clears throat> what did we tip that guy in the end? Uh, like something like ten. five dollars each or something. Yeah, it was, it was about ten euros. I think we said. Um, yeah, and if... I think that's that's a good deal for everyone involved. But yeah, it, it did. It was a bit. Do you remember when we arrived? The guy comes along like um like first person we see looks fairly I think he was in like khaki 
cloves or something like looked fairly official at first sight put his hand out for the passport and then he's got your then he's got our passports and it's like oh, and then he's it. just like, one okay, we're, off. <laughs> we're doing this i mean yeah if if it'd be me alone as a foot passenger i probably would have just demanded my passport back um or another thing another thing that's a good idea is like to set a price from the beginning like okay so you don't get any surprises like the same as in you know in venice if you go sit down for a coffee in st mark's square you want to check this like two two euros and not 200 before you before you drink the thing yeah i can imagine that's a place where you would get rinsed fairly often which i'm looking forward to when i come and visit you later in the summer yeah i'll only i'll only take you to the finest uh <laughs> most touristically friendly tourist friendly restaurants in town the ones where you're already getting your cut from taking you there yeah it's yeah, it's, un- exactly. it's understood yeah it's it's just part, part of, of the system now well so you should be you've been living there for a while you know you've got to supplement the income somehow so we did make this crossing in Mauritania, and like you say we had these well this one board guide who helped us cross did all the bureaucratic work we paid him about 10 euros you can choose to do that you can choose not to while we were crossing, we did actually link up with a Scottish guy who was riding down to Dakar on his motorbike, and he clubbed in with the same guide as us to get his vehicle across the border. And while we were talking, because we were sat there for about four hours or so altogether, which 10 euros for four hours of work from the guide, that's fairly good value when you think about it but anyway we were talking to this guy on his motorbike and he mentioned that he works in Dakar he was riding across the Sahara and was just talking about it being a really good city to go visit you know very fun lots of things to do just well worth getting to particularly seeing as we were carrying on down to Noachot, which is the capital of Mauritania. And from there, it's only another two days' drive, really, to Dakar. So I thought at that point, well, why not carry on? Um, so after I dropped you off, Roy, at the airport, I decided that I was going to carry on by myself and get into Senegal and then carry on then to Dakar mostly because I did want to get a big Dakar rally sticker for the back of my van so that I can say that I've been. The border between Mauritania and Senegal has two crossings on it. There's one which is called Diama, which is essentially on the Mauritanian side, a 40 or 50 kilometre dirt track through the desert. So my motorhome, which... By the way, it's called Abbey, um, just in case when I start talking about Abbey at some point, that's who I'm talking about. But Abbey is certainly not made for off-road driving. She is a pretty standard motorhome. She's on a commercial van base, not really made for trying to get over dirt tracks. So I decided against that and instead decided to head to this border called Rosso, 
which is a ferry crossing across the Senegal River. When I was doing my research beforehand, I'd seen that on this app I use called Park for Night, who are getting a free plug now because Park for Night is the best thing that you can use if you're traveling in a van. They had a campsite listed that was a few kilometers away from the border. So I decided that what I wanted to do was drive down from Nouakchott to the border, stay at a campsite nearby, and then do my research, perhaps walk up to the border, see how it all worked, and get a bit of an understanding for it before I actually made the crossing myself. Because it's it's quite a busy spot, as you can imagine, with a ferry crossing for essentially the only real international border between those two countries, it does get pretty hectic. What I'm going to get into now is the story of what actually happened. And I just want to, as I'm working through, kind of point out red flags. And obviously, Roy, feel free to scream at me and tell me where I'm, <laughs> I was going horribly wrong in this whole episode that happened. No, I mean, that kind of seems a bit like rubbing rubbing salt in the wound. A <laughs> practice like, that, I, that I thoroughly enjoy, so yeah. Yeah, oh, feel, feel free to rub the salt. I'm sure when I publish this, there will be messages through to me about how naive I am <laughs> to get myself caught in such a situation. Um, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty open to that. I think that, I don't know, anyone who, who comes at you with that is just, you know, opening themselves up to when something happens to them, you know, there'll be no sympathy. It's like anyone can fall for this kind of stuff from the most uh, experienced travelers to, you know. Yeah, I suppose it just depends when you're traveling around, you are going to get stung from time to time. And sometimes you get rather a large sting. So, yeah, I think. I was going to say, like, one of the things that, you know, you don't think of is that every scam is kind of, it's based on the place, it's adapted to the place where you are at that time. So, you know, as a traveler, you're you're always, doesn't matter how experienced you are as a traveler, you're always somewhere new. So, yeah, you can recognize patterns and things, but you, there's always a chance you're going to get caught out because these people know the, their place and it's the specific, uh, I don't know how to say it. The kind of tricks in that you can use in that space, um, particularly if you're in a location that is very crowded and busy, well, they know the way around it and they know how to kind of filter you into situations that will knock you off your guard a bit. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, these people as well, like they're, they're incredibly good at it. Like, I don't know how, maybe it's like years of experience and, uh, you know, word of mouth, um, just like everyday practice, but you know, these are the kind of skills that, you know, marketing professionals take years of reading, of reading <laughs> books to like, to learn this stuff, <clears throat> you know, things like, um, like I was saying earlier, like the, the practice of rushing you you know adding that element of like uh like a time factor like it i don't know exactly what happened with you but it sounds like uh, and i'm interested to hear what happened with the campsite before the border 
but I'm guessing you ended up like crossing at night and or they told you, come on, you have to get across before this. <laughs> yes, and that's there never ended up being a campsite in the end. <laughs> okay. Maybe maybe those guys put it on put it on there. Maybe park for night is not so good after all. Oh no, I mean I never made it to the campsite because I get rushed. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Ah, uh, okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll stop talking then because I'm interested to hear where this goes. Uh, no, it's okay. It's a good story. It does have the president of Mauritania in it. Well, should have the president of Mauritania in it if I believe the people who were scamming me. Uh, <laughs> authority, authority, the authority factor. Yep. See? Oh, absolutely. People knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um. These guys, they probably do this all day, every day. It's them, I can imagine, one of their main sources of income. So, did they, they, did they have t shirts saying, like, 10,000 people have successfully crossed with us? Five star, <laughs> review, five star review on Trustpilot. They, no, they didn't have that. I think they could do with um, the old football hooligan firms in the UK. They used to have business cards that they would kind of slip into people's pockets after beating them up saying, you know, you've met the West Ham intercity firm or something. Um, yeah, perhaps these guys just need a little business card like, yeah, you've met the Rosso border crossing scam gang. Oh, man. <laughs> to pick up the story, I was heading down towards the border. About 80 kilometres out from the border, there was a checkpoint and when you're driving in Mauritania and to a lesser extent Morocco, checkpoints are a pretty common thing to see. So when Roy and I were driving down the country, we essentially had to have this file folder full of documents called fiches, which are documents that include your passport number, your vehicle, your registration, date of entry to the country. And at every checkpoint, they just pull you over, take one of these copies, so you need about 50 of them, and then wave you on your way. I think the idea of it is that then if you drive off into the desert and get lost, that they have a rough idea of the last time they ended up seeing you. So when I got to this checkpoint about 80 kilometers out, I was met by this man in plain clothes who asked me for a COVID certificate. And I started doing this driving around in a motorhome thing about three years ago during COVID. And then it was pretty common to have these things. But this is the first and only time that it's come up for a very long time for me. And I think this is probably the first red flag firstly that there was a guy in tracky bottoms and flip flip-flops asking me for official documents but secondly that he was asking me for a document that i was very unlikely to actually have and by asking for that he was immediately able to put me on the back foot and make me feel that i was a little bit out of place and that I was reliant on him to pass through this checkpoint. So I don't know whether he was working with people on the checkpoint or what the deal was with all of that, because it 
felt legitimate because there were all these official signs out saying, you know, you need to stop here, you need to hand over documents as requested. And when Roy and I, when we crossed over the border into into Mauritania, we did go for a bit of a walk around that sort of town that was on the border. And this guy in plain clothes did just come up to us, didn't he, and told us, you can't walk in that direction, I'm with the police. If you walk in that direction, you'll walk into a minefield. Ah, uh, yeah. But I think he did produce like a badge, no? I mean, not that that... Uh... Not that that can mean anything, but yeah, yeah, he had, and and to be fair, he did have best intentions because I still have you here to record this, rather than one or both of us being scattered over a four-mile radius in South Morocco. Well, but... I mean, to be fair, there was a massive sign that said like, "This is a minefield," and I think actually that's what we were walking towards to get a photo of the sign, if I remember rightly. That that does sound about right. I have taken a few photos of minefield signs where I've probably got a bit closer than I ought to have done. But I I don't know whether I had that in my mind at the time. But anyway, the idea of somebody in plain clothes potentially coming up and asking for these sort of documents wasn't totally unexpected. It was a little, particularly because it was at this official stop. So, yeah, I mean, you never know. Like I, I had in, I think it was crossing into Zambia, like this guy running after the car, like stop, stop, stop getting like really angry. And then eventually, eventually did stop. <clears throat> it was like, you know, like a rainy um, equatorial storms. <clears throat> so everyone was wearing um, like ponchos and hoodies and stuff. And so this guy eventually like rips open his poncho and he's, he's in police, police like uniform. Superman. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, how, you know, I'm sorry. How the hell was, was I supposed to know? Like, <laughs> you know, in like, you know, there are cities in, in the Western world where you don't stop, where you keep your doors locked and you don't stop if someone tries to come up to your window. So I'm sorry, but yeah, at a border in Zambia, like it's best you know, unless they actually have a barricade, then, you know, I think you're within your rights. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, like you were saying, there's, there's, uh, it's difficult to know based on some, like, there's plenty of uh, people not in uniform and there's plenty of scammers who are wearing uniforms, so. I've never got to rip my shirt off to reveal authority. I really need to get myself into a line of work where I can do that. I think you can just like walk down, walk around in Marrakesh, just I don't know, practicing. I'm thinking because I work in data protection, maybe I need to walk up to Facebook's offices or something and just go, <laughs> "Data protection man." Actually, that that probably won't work because they do just then get fined a pittance, so it would probably be the most ineffective superhero. Oh well. Actually, maybe it would be a really good scam to pull on them. You can be like, you can rip your shirt open, like, gotcha, like Zuckerberg. I'm finally here to collect that 10,000. And he'd just like write you, just be like, oh, crap, I knew this was coming. And just give you like a, a check for $10,000 to keep you quiet. 10,000, I'm pretty sure that just falls out of his pocket when he's running for his limo, doesn't it? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All you but, had to do was rip off your shirt for Zuckerberg. Yeah, I do quite like that idea. But, yeah, it does also sound like the kind of fines that the Irish Data Protection Office put on Facebook in order to keep them in the country. That's usually some kind of minimal amount. Anyway, getting a little sidetracked. <laughs> um, so, going back to the story, the border guard, well, not border guard, the man at the checkpoint had asked me for this COVID certificate, which I obviously didn't have. It had put me on the back foot a little bit. And he had then said to me, that's okay, you can follow me to the border and I'll sort this out with you. And he had this scooter for riding to the border. The other thing that was a little unusual about the situation, and I'm still in two minds as to whether this was part of the con or not, was that in this on this road and in this village that we were passing through, there were a couple of Gambian guys in a British registered car whose vehicle had broken down and who needed a tow to the border because they were heading down to Gambia. And my guy who had picked me up kind of waved me over to them and said, can you help them out? Can you give them a tow? And the car, well, like I say, it had British plates on it, but it was a make of Chinese car that I've never heard of. It looked like it had seen better days. The roof was partially caved in. They they said that on their drive down, they'd kind of gone off the road and ended up rolling it over in the desert. It all seemed very unusual. And I did give them a tow to the border. And I'm not sure, well, I'm, I'm still in two minds, like I say, as to whether this was part of it, because I can't really see what those guys were adding other than that by towing them, that would mean that I had to follow the guy on the scooter and couldn't just kind of pull off and um, bugger off and hide somewhere. Yeah, so mm-hmm. not not really sure about that case. Or I I might be putting them in a bit of shade there. They might be yeah, very legitimately <laughs> traveling down and just kind of got caught up in my story a bit. Okay, so they don't they don't come into the story again or No, no, basically when we get to carrying on a little bit, when we get to the border, there is there is a group of about six or seven guys in this empty spot where we pull up near the border. And at that point they kind of say thanks to me the rest of the group are all saying oh yeah that was really nice of you thank you very much you know you're a really good guy and everything which i didn't know whether that is a potential red flag so the reason that i'm saying this is that there is a tactic in some scams that gets referred to as love bombing where essentially you will have a group of people who are all then kind of shaking your hand and being and saying, oh, yeah, you're brilliant. Thank you very much. You're awesome. All of this. And it, again, disorients you a little bit. And Yes, it's another marketing tactic as well. Like you're, um, you know, you're less likely to say no to someone that you that you like. Like if they've built a bond and, uh, you know, brands brands do it all the time. 
like they they do something nice to you or they compliment you in the you know the writing that you see on their website could well be that that was actually part of the whole thing it could i think it's probably more likely that actually that was just another unfortunate incident happening that day that the gang thought oh actually that's kind of handy because i think if it if those guys had been involved the people in the broken down car that seems like more work than you'd do to have a car with british plates sat there and just be like oh god i hope a brit passes today seems like they'd be sat there the british plates is a weird element but yeah it sounds it sounds to me like pretty unrelated like people uh, in most of the world like i think england's an exception but in most of the world people just tend to help each other out um, yeah, I think so, so it was probably probably just that. Like, yeah, they may have been trying to scam you for a lot, but that doesn't mean they're not uh, they're not also people who would, who would help out others, like with no money. Um, yeah, just a coincidence, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so as well. And I suppose if nothing else comes out of this story, well, except for an episode of the podcast, at least I did tow some guys who needed a lift eighty kilometers to the border. I'm thinking eighty kilometers. Like, well, it oh, it was yeah, it was a long way to tow people in a very underpowered motorhome that gets very grumpy when I go up a hill. So yeah, I was I was surprised at Abby's strength, <laughs> but there you go. So we got to the border. As I mentioned, there were about seven or eight guys waiting there for us. Did get a few handshakes, people saying, oh yeah, that's great, that's great. And then this group started saying, we'll help you across the border now, seeing as you've helped us. And I said, actually, my plan is to just go to this campsite and I'm going to cross the border tomorrow. Which I think this is probably where mine and yours are stories would very much diverge at this point in that I'm pretty sure you'd have been a lot better than me at sticking to your guns on this but what happened to me was that they said no no you can't wait till tomorrow because the border is going to be closed tomorrow because there's a presidential visit from the president of Mauritania which Mm. okay yeah it sounds yeah these these guys Guys have played this game before, and I like that's definitely not something you come up with in the moment. Yeah, and and it's it's just like you were saying earlier. It is the group are then pushing you onto their schedule. I mean, I suppose that's why it is called hustling, isn't it? Because they are hustling you into doing things that you don't necessarily want to do and working on their schedule rather than yours yeah they make sure that you don't have the time to think about your decisions and make the the decisions correctly like you would normally make like you have this uh yeah this this time element yeah and it was setting off alarm bells in the head like say it was setting off these red flags but partly because I'm not very good at telling people to fuck off and partly because I was in a very unusual place that I'd not been before, couldn't speak the language. 
I ended up getting swept along with it. So the next thing that ended up happening was that I was told that I was going to need to draw out about £350 in English money, um, obviously in the local currency. Mm. And by this point, I was being swept along by about four or five of this group to a cash point. And as I was saying to them, no, that seems wrong. That seems like a lot. They said to me, oh, no, you get to keep this money. This is, you just need to show proof of funds when you're crossing the border, which I know some countries do ask that if they're, if you're getting a visa to travel. Yeah, but to... in like bank statement or yeah, something like that. Yeah, this is, this sounds like a big red flag. Yeah, absolutely. Um, nothing I've, I read about this um, before I made the crossing or anything I've read about it since suggests that that is remotely what you actually need. Um, I can't think of anywhere where I've been asked to show up with a big wad of cash <laughs> to show that I can sustain myself. <laughs> I don't... I'd have thought, um, yeah, I mean, man who lives more or less self-sustaining in BAM would kind of be proof of funds in itself. But, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, you're literally, I mean, I don't know what that van's worth, but presumably like thousands or tens, tens of thousands. Like, that. yeah, that's uh, that should be enough, I'd say. <laughs> you'd, you'd certainly hope. Um, but they took this... £350, which was my daily withdrawal limit that I had set on my bank account. They also took the about £50 worth of Mauritanian money that I had in my wallet. And the guy who I had initially met at the border handed this money off to another man who then went into an office and did actually do paperwork. So at this point, he also had my passport. I should say as well which again big yeah big stupid thing for me to do but he did actually do the paperwork this ended up getting handed to a senegalese guy who is the only person whose name i actually um heard he's a guy called mamadou so yeah i'll call him that as we go through the story and this these papers and everything got passed off to Mamadou at this point. That was obviously the last I saw of that money. It was the last that I saw of that guy who'd disappeared into the building to do paperwork. But mm. my checkpoint guy who had initially picked me up then said to me, you're now, so I'm passing you off to Mamadou now, who is going to take you through the border and do everything on the other side. You owe Mamadou money for doing this, but we understand that you can't draw any more out, so just make sure that you sort him out tomorrow. I've told you that I've told him that you're a trustworthy guy, that you helped out these guys with the towing situation earlier on. So he's kind of taking my word that you're okay. Which mm. again, you're just like, mm, I don't think so. I think you guys probably went to school together. Yeah. So we then get on this little raft that, well, kind of car ferry 
raft thing that takes you across the Senegal River into Senegal. When we arrive in Senegal, I've had a few photos on the raft because, again, I'm getting built out of money. I'm not going to not get some photos for it. We get across to the other side and I then have to drive my van into the customs area on Senegalese side. And at this point, Mamadou then starts doing the work that needs to be done on that side. So there are vehicle import forms that need to be done. There is the insurance for the van to make sure that if I get into a crash, obviously I'm insured. And the passport work. While we were working our way through this, he said to me that one of the forms that we had to receive was going to need to be driven up from this town called San Louis, which is the main big town in the north of Senegal. But he said it was going to take about three hours to get this thing through. And obviously by that time, and given that this was all pretty early evening by this point, I'd been on the Let me guess, that takes you into a new day so you can with- then withdraw another... Ding, 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 ding. Yep. Mm. <laughs> yeah, give that man a teddy. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, that did then mean that my van was stuck in the customs overnight. I slept in the van in customs, accompanied by stray dogs having an orgy, which was delightful. And <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like you say, at that point, my van is in customs and... I'm I'm probably not going to really talk too much about red flags from now on, just because at this point I am really just at their mercy. And, and so I think, I don't know, would you talk about black flags potentially at this stage? That it's just, yeah, you're screwed and you're just going to have to kind of follow it through now. White white flags, maybe. White, white, white flags, yeah, surrender. Yeah, I like that. Mm. So, yeah, basically, we're now at this surrender point. My van's locked away. Next morning, Mamadou comes to meet me as I get up. And we immediately go, me, him, one of his mates, and the guy driving the car. And they drive me to a town called Richard Toll, which is the nearest actual town to the Rosso border crossing so that I can go and draw out the money for their services that they're going to be providing to me. It, and this is a quick question. This is uh, in Senegal, this town? Yeah, yeah, this is on the Senegalese side of the border now. Had you already got your passport stamp to enter? or? Um, oh, actually, that's a very good <laughs> question. No, no, we, we did. Um, yeah, that got done ah, the okay. night before. Yeah, ah, right. Yeah, so that yeah, so that had already been done the night before. It was vehicle stuff at this point. Um yeah, so got things Richard Toll. Funnily enough, the exact amount that it was gonna cost me for all this was three hundred and fifty pounds, which I thought was, yeah, a surprising coincidence given that that was the max amount I was able to withdraw. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, some, sometimes these coincidences happen. Anyway, threw out that money, said to them, 
right, are we finished now? This is going to be all the money. And they said, yes, yes, this will be all the money. Took me back to the border crossing, did the paperwork that I needed to get my van out of customs and was then told, actually, no, that's not all the money. And now we're going to, to get you to drive us back to Richard Toll to draw out more money. I don't know if this is really an area that you could say was a cut-off point as to where I could tell them to fuck off because, again, there were two of them actually sat in my van at this point and yeah, I didn't really know what to do with it <laughs> at that stage. I mean, I, I don't know. Would, would that have been a fuck-off point, Roy, potentially? Or? I mean, I mean it's, a tough, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because... Uh... I don't know. You can't really go to the police out there. Like it's, yeah, I think probably, and you've probably learned this lesson now, but like, yeah, the one, one thing I've learned in these kinds of situations is the earlier, the better. You just don't get into it. Like I'd say the cutoff point was the very first time that you went to a, to an ATM with them. Like oh. that just, uh, that was what you shouldn't have done. Because oh, then, then I guess they're like, okay, he's probably got more cards. We can hold him for another day. Like they'll just keep keep trying it, you know. Like if you were never prepared to pay a penny, or you know, you gave them five euros for the services, and then and then just were like, okay, absolutely no more. Like then they wouldn't. They, yeah, there might have been some aggression and and stuff. But if they, you know, if they can't get any money, then they then they won't. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think it was just at that stage they knew that they had me in a position where they could kind of pump me for more money, really. So we mm. did end up driving back to Richard Toll, me, Mamadou, and my new third friend. And parked up there, I'd already told them that I wasn't able to draw out any more money. So they said to me at that point, well you need to set up a Western Union so that you can pay us. At this point... Mm, proper dodgy. Yeah. Yeah, and... Like like I've said, I had seen kind of red flags all the way through. I knew that this was a dodgy situation from a very early stage, but I'd been trying to, in a very cat-candid and terrible way, work my way through it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was at this point that I was just like, I've had enough. I'm going to call the embassy. These guys, they well, they, they thought I was on the phone to my bank because the, the English one's amazing, really. But mm. I, rang, I rang up the embassy at this stage and said, this is happening to me. I've got these two guys in my van. Um response from the embassy wasn't fantastic really i i don't know what i've really been expecting if if i'm honest i think it was just more a bit of a panic call because really i don't think embassies do get involved unless you do get arrested or you're in hospital essentially and i can understand that from a resources point of view but the advice that I essentially got was I think you're going to need to pay up, get out of this situation, 
and then go to the police. So that was what ended up happening. I'd said to these two guys that I didn't have any more money. They took me to the bank and then made me request to withdraw smaller and smaller amounts just to make sure that you know they had definitely pumped me for everything. And then... Yeah. I mean, it's literally like out and out theft at this point, isn't it? There's no, uh, no other word for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they, well, they then got back into my van and said to me, right, you still owe us about the equivalent of around £300. You still owe us this money and we're going to call our boss about it. They called whoever this person is, who they say is their boss, and they say, right, you need to tell this guy that you'll pay tomorrow once you're allowed to draw out more money again. I was very briefly on the phone with, again, somebody who didn't speak great English. But after this point, they did let me go. And, yeah, it was just all a bit of a, yeah, certainly something I wouldn't like to repeat. I Must have been an incredibly scary situation. It did, yeah, it, it was yeah, pretty awful. Um, I did carry on down to Dakar at that point, just cause, partly because I thought if I'm going to report this to the police, I'm probably most likely to find somebody who can speak a bit of English in Dakar. But mm. also just because I was in a bit of a fugue state, really, and I just was thinking, right, I want to be as far away from this place as I can be. Yeah, um, I know the feeling. Yeah. Um, so I think that's also, there's definitely an element of, of that in what they do as well. Like, I think when when we're in an unpleasant situation, like, you know, we want to get out of it as quickly as possible. So then we put our own added pressure on, uh, you know, you're more likely to, to throw a bit more money at something just because it's so horrible, the experience already that you just want to get out of it um so yeah maybe that that's also a factor yeah oh well yeah there you go another another red flag for our yeah almost communist rallies worth of red flags yeah <laughs> um yeah so essentially i did then get to dakar reported it to the police who you know did weren't particularly interested in in the case and then dealt with the situation as i think any mature adult would do by refusing to actually go and see anything in dakar and instead sitting in my van eating pizza drinking beer and sulking for a day and then driving back home well not oh. home but <laughs> back to mauritania it's a sh it's a real shame like this is uh uh, yeah, countries like this where these kind of scams are rife, it, it it's really crap for the you know for the tourist economy of those countries. And I don't know if everyone has a bad time. I mean, do you remember like as we were going down there, like the vibe, everyone everyone's eyes lit up when they when they mentioned Dakar. Like I think that's why you wanted to go there, right? Like both Senegalese yeah. people and and foreigners were like, yeah, it's an amazing place. So it's a, it's a real shame that because of like, you know, 
because of these guys that that whole experience was ruined but, yeah yeah that's the thing and i think it it is a place that i really ought to give a second chance at some point in the future i think probably not traveling down there in the van you know maybe mm. flying down there and getting onto something that's a little bit more organized but yeah like you say so many people had said that it's you know a really fun interesting city to go and visit and i think i was just unfortunate that i did get stung with quite a bad situation which then just well just didn't leave me in a mood for actually going out and seeing anything yeah I, I totally i totally understand that feeling i've had it before though and it's like when you enter a country and you've had such a bad experience with just one or two people and like i guess two things could have happened if you had decided um like if you had somehow miraculously been able to tell yourself you know what forget that shake it off and go out and enjoy the town i think any little thing that remotely resembled that you know like anyone you met in a bar who tried to get a drink off you or any like which obviously would have happened you know like i mean someone would have tried to get some money out of you or rob you at some point and it would have just got added to that list to that feeling of like oh this is what you know this is why i hate this country so yeah maybe i don't know yeah. it's sad but maybe you you made the right decision yeah yeah like yeah like you say it just all sets off alarm bells so when i did go to report this at the central police station in dakar they said to me oh you've got to get a guy to write up a witness statement for you there he is he sat out that out next to that corner shop on the um on the street and to be fair, there were actually a queue of locals who were also waiting for witness statements to be drawn up. So it wasn't like mm. it was an unusual situation. But when I'd had my witness statement drawn up, he then said to me, I want two thousand francs for that, which isn't a lot of isn't a lot of money, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. If I remember rightly, it it's a couple of quid maybe, if even that. But oh, okay. <laughs> yeah it's it's not it's not a lot but at that stage i was just like no i'm here because i've had all my money stolen <laughs> yeah Look, <laughs> yeah i i don't have money if i had money i wouldn't be at the police station but it's terrible yeah so on the way back up though rather than crossing through rosso because i was still a little bit anxious about doing that i did in the end go and do the diama border crossing so that's the one that i mentioned which is basically a dirt track in the desert and it, yeah it was the slightly less horrifying option but yeah it was still pretty horrifying abby certainly wasn't happy <laughs> driving across that look quite nice in the photos though it oh that's it yeah I, I do love doing pictures where it looks like i've driven abby down like this big long dirt road but 99 percent of the time that you see those pictures i have pretty much just pulled off a motorway <laughs> onto a dirt road and that's right behind <laughs> to someone's like front garden 
pretty much yeah <laughs> that's that's my usual technique you know doing it all for the for the instagram likes and all that yeah <laughs> but yeah managed to get back to Mauritania and not die and had about another week or so in the capital there it's it's a nice city they well worth visiting because I don't think Mauritania gets a lot of tourists. I think me and you, Roy, I think we must have made up about the 10% of the tourists in the country at the time. Yeah, and do you remember like the people that we met, the other people we met traveling like all knew each other? It was like a real, um, I don't know, I don't want to say inbred, yeah. but <laughs> maybe you can cut that as well. But the, There were certainly only a handful of people just every time anybody said, Oh yeah, I met this Brazilian guy in a hostel. I'm like, oh yeah, I met that guy too. It's... Yeah, yeah, we all had the same like, like Instagram friends traveling at the same time. Yeah, what's what's weird about that is I don't know because usually, I mean, it used to be that everyone would follow, um, follow like what the accommodation and the the bars and stuff in the Lonely Planet guides, and I guess now it's more, um, you know, like instagram or um like google uh google searches and stuff but yeah it's kind of yeah it's weird it's weird because i wasn't really involved in any of that planning so to me it felt like we just rolled up and or like you looked at this park for night thing and we just rolled up at a random place um so yeah it's, it's weird that we were actually in the main hostels where everyone goes yeah oh and that is pretty much how it works for me normally i work out where i'm gonna be the next day about 15 minutes before i start driving but i think with mauritania there are so few places to stop that yeah. you are just gonna end up in the same spots as everybody else but i i did quite like it for that though it made it feel a little bit like you're off out somewhere that well not everybody's gonna necessarily see yeah, it's it's a nice mix. It's like a bit like traveling uh, in the old days, maybe like twenty years ago, when um, and or like when you really get off the beaten track, because it's like nobody likes to just travel and only see to other tourists. But you know, if truth be told, you know you also want to occasionally meet people that you can share share your stories with and you know you also you learn a lot about the country by by learning what's happened to other people things that you know you might not have experienced so yeah a country like Mauritania is great for that because you spend most of the time interacting with locals and then you 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 know there's a few people going around doing the same thing as you so it's nice I liked it <laughs> a lot yeah yeah I probably left it to the bit late in the episode to say this is definitely not an anti-Mauritania or, or indeed too much of an anti-Senegal podcast it is it, it is a story just about a very specific situation that I ended up in but I both countries well I can certainly say from Mauritania and from what other people have told me about Senegal that they are both well worth visiting it's just making sure that you don't get picked up in these picked up in these problems yeah there's there's scammers everywhere like yeah in london you know yeah yeah and i think that's um that's one of the reasons why i thought this would make quite a good 
episode really is that these are the sorts of techniques and the things that come up that really can come across anywhere so mm-hmm. hopefully somebody listens to this and doesn't get bilked out of the best part of a thousand pounds <laughs> but Oof. yeah anyway we'll have to see how we go with that i think that probably does us then so boy is there anywhere else if people find that they do have a gaping Roy Duffield shaped hole in their life after this where they can come and find you online uh, I think unlikely <laughs> but yeah I, I closed down the blog um, the drinking traveler blog uh, uh, earlier this year actually um, but it, um, but yeah I'm, I'm on Instagram as drinking underscore traveler and Twitter as drink traveler um, yeah and like yeah feel for free to reach out to me obviously uh say hello on there that's probably the best ways to contact me oh you've got some poetry coming out as well haven't you uh yep um uh we don't know exactly but i think around september time uh, i've got a book coming out with my it'll be my first poetry collection uh coming out with anxiety press Oh, if I'd have known I, I could do a plug, I would have yeah thought more about <laughs> about this. But yeah, it's, it should be pretty cool. It's like my certainly my favorite poems that I've uh, that I've written um, all in one book. So, and I can certainly say that they are indeed a collection of poems. I I don't really know anything about poetry. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. I know a few dirty limericks, but that's probably about it. I, I think there's a couple of dirty limericks in there, yeah. There you go. I Yeah, probably will appeal to me then in that case. I know you used to write for, was it called like Heroin Sheet or something like that? Um, I'm the help out there as the art and photography editor. So, yeah, that's that's another thing. Yeah, if anyone listening um, is like a budding artist or photographer, um, definitely, yeah, send us something over to Anti-Heroin Sheet. Oh, and, uh, anti-heroin chic. Yeah, that that probably makes yeah. yeah, yeah, that yeah, that probably makes more sense because I, I was thinking <laughs> kind of how heroin chic. That was like the term that they used in like the nineties for sort of like Kate Moss and like really skinny models, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think yeah, we're kind of like we're a bit of that, and we're also a bit of anti. We uh, we're open. Yeah. We're open to everyone. Which I think is a very good thing for the travelling sort of person. So if you want to get in touch with us, well I say us, me, possibly also Roy, on about this podcast, I've set up an email address for it. That is allpointspod at gmail.com. And I've also set up a Twitter for it if you prefer getting in touch with people through Twitter. Although for that, I had to use at all points cast because it turns out that there is already an all points pod, which is just called all. I I know it's it's just um, the podcast is just called all points and they are now getting a plug from me for it rather than (laughs) rather than us who are, of course, all points in between, which I think makes us twice as good because we are twice as long a title. I don't but, know, man. This is more concise. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
this afternoon I was having a bit of a look through their episodes and they do have episodes titled Double Penetration, Cheats or Meats, and Laying Cable. So I'm Ooh, pretty sure... Maybe I should do an interview <laughs> with them. <laughs> I, I think they might be a bit more interesting than this, yeah. But you'll certainly be able to tell the difference between us and them. <laughs> if, <laughs> if it's an awkward English guy who sounds like he hasn't had sex for a while, then it's probably us. If it's some Yanks, then it's probably them. But yeah, I think that will do us then. Speak to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>